In the name of the one holy and living God. Amen. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I first learned that chant, which comes from the Taizé community in France, when I used to celebrate the Eucharist for a church that meets in Madison Square Park. Most of its members are homeless, and in all weather, we would stand in a circle singing those words as we passed the bread and grape juice, in that case, around the circle. It was so powerful for me to sing Jesus Remember Me with folks who are forgotten by a lot of the world and to know that they were not forgotten in that little community as we were all fed together with Christ's body and blood and then with hearty sandwiches and strong coffee. Part of the blessing of being there was the way that an honest need for Jesus was met by a palpable sense of Jesus' presence. The simple words of this prayer song speak, I think, for all of us in those moments when we recognize the end of our capacity and we remember how deep our need for God goes. Today, the last Sunday of the church year, we celebrate the reign of Christ, also known as the Feast of Christ the King. For me, it's a problematic or maybe paradoxical feast. The imagery of royalty evokes a power that is exercised from above with all the trappings of pomp and triumphalism, to say nothing of the problems with patriarchal language. This is not what I want to claim or celebrate. But at another level, this day raises the question of our heart's great longings and our deepest allegiances. In the collect, we pray for the fulfillment of God's longing to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the reconciliation of all who are estranged and divided, the healing of our brokenness and our sin, the renewal of our life together, and the life of our precious earth. Our reading from Colossians speaks of Christ as the one in whom all things were created, in whom all things hold together, in whom God's fullness dwells, in whom all things are reconciled, making peace by the blood of the cross. This is not so much a hierarchical or external ruler as the source, expression, and energy of life within and among all things. 
As we celebrate the reign of Christ, which increasingly many of us call the kingdom of Christ, we ponder how, to, and with whom we belong. What is our deepest allegiance? What kind of community are we? What does it mean to follow Jesus as teacher, shepherd, leader, savior, friend, the firstborn of many siblings and of all creation? Every year, the gospel for this day points to the countercultural, paradoxical nature of Jesus' reign. In year A, Matthew tells of a king who judges between those who are able to respond to the needs of Christ in the hungry, the homeless, the lonely, the sick, and those in prison, and those who do not. The ruler comes hidden in the guise of the forgotten of the earth. Last year, we witnessed Jesus' trial before Pilate and heard of a kingdom that is not like those of this world. The question reverberated, what is truth? What is the truth of our own integrity? What is really going on in the world around us? And what is the moral compass that should guide our actions and relationships? Today, the gospel shows us Christ the King reigning from the cross, lynched by the Roman Empire, a cautionary example for all exposed to shame and torture and death. Jesus is not just in solidarity with the marginalized and discarded ones. He is truly one of them. Our text includes two moments in the crucifixion story which are unique to Luke's telling. First, as Jesus hangs in agony between the two others who are crucified at the place called the skull, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What does this mean? At the simplest level, they certainly do know what they are doing. They are nailing human hands into wood and lifting bodies up to die a slow and torturous death of asphyxiation. They know. When I was younger, I thought this meant that those who killed Jesus didn't realize who he really was. And if they'd understood that he was the Son of God, I thought they would stop and everything would be okay. Maybe this is part of what Luke wants to say. But now I suspect that the not knowing is something much more profound. It's a lack of heart knowing, a failure of empathy, of being able to see others, especially those who seem of no account or who are different from us in skin color or religion, in economic background or ethnicity or sexuality, because of the language they speak or the views they hold not being able to see them as bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, deserving care and dignity and made in the divine image, God's kin and ours. Our ignorance may be born of denial or greed, or we may be just following orders, may reflect a failure of responsibility or being overwhelmed and feeling helpless. Sometimes, I think it's a failure of imagination. 
The truth is we never know the full consequences of our actions, even when we mean well, just as we never know fully what is moving those who hurt us. Forgiving someone who has done us harm, especially harm that has a lasting impact, is surely one of the most difficult challenges of our lives. Such forgiveness doesn't mean that we pretend the hurt didn't happen or that it doesn't matter. We may not forgive all at once. We may not be able to do much more than pray to want to forgive and ask God to help us. It's a wonder to suddenly find that we have forgiven someone after years of being unable to do so, that we wish them well and set them free from our grudge, our resentment, our bitterness. And there is nothing more liberating than being forgiven by someone we know we have hurt. Really seeking forgiveness means working to understand both the impact of what we've done and that of what has been done on our behalf in our community. And I mean the impact both on those who have been harmed and on those who have done or benefited from the harming. Reflecting on the truth and reconciliation process that followed the end of apartheid in South Africa, the Reverend Mopo Tutu Van Firth, who, yes, is the daughter of the beloved late Archbishop, writes that Ubuntu forgiveness, that is, forgiveness born of the traditional African understanding of the deep interconnection between people, is not about wiping the debt slate clean of individual wrongdoing. She says the traditional words of apology actually mean, I ask you for peace. I seek a better future for the whole community. And granting forgiveness, she says, in this sense, is making a space to plant the seeds of peace so that we are able to move forward together. Restoring right relationship is at the heart of all our spiritual work, and it is an experience of the merciful and loving heart of God. Sometimes it comes as a sudden breakthrough, and often it is a lifelong practice. Jesus' prayer is not heard by those for whom it is offered. The mocking continues, including by one of those who is crucified with him, Luke says they're criminals. We really don't know what they've done or anything about them. But one of them may be hoping that Jesus still has some power in reserve or may be furious because he doesn't seem to, jeers at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the second rebukes the first, saying, don't you fear God? You are under the same sentence of condemnation. We are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. This year, a friend of mine pointed something out about this passage that had never occurred to me before. Are these two men dying on either side of Jesus, in fact, getting what they deserve? They may be guilty, even guilty of serious crimes, but do they deserve shaming and prolonged public torture? Did they deserve to be killed by the Roman Empire? Surely no one deserves crucifixion, no matter what they have done. 
These are anachronistic questions in one way, because this grotesque public execution was a common and cruel part of life in Jesus' day. But then as now, the killers both know and do not know what they are doing, what damage is being done to them and to those in whose name they enact cruelty and punishment, to say nothing, of course, of those subject to state terror. This passage challenges us to grapple with the administration of justice, with the violence that underlies so many of our institutions and is so often inequitable, with guilt and innocence, punishment, consequence, forgiveness, and what it means to seek restoration and a peaceful future. Maybe the second thief has internalized oppression when he says he deserves his cruel and all too usual punishment, or since death now seems inevitable, maybe he is simply owning his guilt in the face of it. In either case, he says the words with which I began, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Did he, I wonder, experience Jesus as compelling in some mysterious way, even in that moment of agony? Was he expecting a miracle? Or was he simply being kind to a man he thought was misguided but innocent? However it was, somehow, there is an opening in his heart, and that is more than enough. We don't know either what he meant by come into your kingdom, but Luke might draw our attention to the manifesto at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of jubilee. Allegiance to Christ as King means commitment to liberation and healing, It's about the establishment of right relationship interpersonally, socially, even cosmically. Jesus, who is dying just as the thief is, says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. For me, the power of this saying is its immediacy the lavish grace and welcome that are available now, in this present moment, and always, always. No matter what, we are invited to turn, to repent, to ask for help, and to begin again, to receive God's grace. (coughs) Jesus' promise of paradise evokes the original blessing of Eden, the wholeness of creation and humankind walking and talking with God in a garden. It also foreshadows the vision of a new creation, community beloved on earth as in heaven, a city in which the streams of the river of the water of life flow for all and where a tree grows with leaves that are for the healing of the nations. The dying man asks, remember me. To be remembered is to be thought of for good, to be recognized, 
to have one's name and story deeply and lovingly known. Such memory restores one to wholeness in contrast with the violent, dismissive dismemberment of this tortuous death. How important it is to each of us to be remembered whole. And I take note that this is the transgender day of remembrance. And so we remember particularly our trans siblings who have died because of hate and violence. As we hear the man's prayer and Jesus' reassurance, we might also recall that Jesus asked to be remembered. And at every Eucharist, we do what he asked. We remember him, his full being, his life and death and resurrection as we share the bread and wine. It's not just an intellectual exercise. Mysteriously, Jesus is present, really present, in the meal we share and the people with whom we gather around the table, both friends and strangers, as we remember. And as we remember, we are offered grace to help us recognize Christ in all creatures, and we are called to live according to Jesus' way of mercy and justice and peace. We are ourselves remembered in the body of Christ, we belong to Jesus and one another, and we are commissioned to give our hearts and lives to the kingdom of God. Today is also our stewardship in gathering when we bless financial commitments made to ascension in the coming year. This feast is a good day for it because one mark of God's reign is generosity and another is gratitude. If you have pledged, thank you very much. And if you have not yet done so, I hope you'll consider it. We give money as we give our time and our talents in order to show where our values and allegiances really lie. And we give in order to participate in the work and the wonder of God's kingdom. May our participation open our hearts and shape our lives in the surprising, subversive and life-giving way of Jesus. May we be faithful stewards of remembering of the promise and presence, the values and relationships, the justice and mercy of Christ's reign. Amen.